Welcome to the T-Hud Podcast. I'm Moby. And I'm Leland Steele. And I'm Shannon. Yes, welcome back, Shannon. Listener, we are having Shannon back for a record fifth time guest hosting. Almost half a year of guest hosts. That's like SNL status, like Alec Baldwin. I need my jacket. Let's go. Absolutely. You are Alec Baldwin. <laughs> wait, wait, like you want to... You want to be on trial for manslaughter? No, that, that is a horrible oh, example. No. Thanks, thanks, you guys. You know what I meant. You know she what I meant. She wants to talk. This is kind of crude, but she wants to talk about Leland's Chevetti balls, like <laughs> Alec Baldwin did in that classic skit. As president of the I Love Leland fan club, yes, sweaty balls is hot on topics. <laughs> These balls are so good. We make them in Chicago every Saturday. I think that's how the skit went, something like that. <laughs> so what uh, what capabilities does a five-year-old have? Like, what's the milestone for, like, a five-year-old? Well, that's kindergarten. You're going into Oh, okay, right. That makes sense. All yeah. right. For most kids, they, well, in California now, they require TK, which is transitional kindergarten. So most kids do a traditional kindergarten, then they go on to kindergarten. Um, so it just depends on the age. It's a, it is, it is a whole can of worms that you just opened <laughs> just alone in that because wow. it's my birth date. <laughs> and if your kid doesn't meet the certain birth date, they have to go to the TK. Yeah. Once again, whole can of worms. Why do you have to, why'd you have to go there? Yeah, I'm sorry. I've. This is why I don't like kids. This is the T-Hud parent <laughs> cast. Come on. Do you think you're on the podcast? You asked me to talk about geek, not about parenting. My brain was on geek, not on parenting. You did a mad switch on me, dude. Uh, that, that, that's that's what we do here. A lot of our guests would agree. You did a mad switch. I thought this was going to be fun. This is terrible. <laughs> it's always fun with you guys. That's, I, that's 100% guarantee. You cannot have a bad time with you two. Oh, uh, thanks. We appreciate that. You know, honestly, it's it's been awesome with our guests. A lot of our guests ask to come back on as soon as we go off air. They're like, hey, can I come back? I'm like, yeah, but not next month. Like, you know, we've got to have like a little bit of time. But uh, there's definitely some guests that um, that that asked to come back. And of course, we're glad to have them back. And And it's just awesome to have some friends, some true friends of the show that you can call upon and say, hey, you know what? We're starting our year, Shannon Leland, transitional kindergarten from, you know, his job at the warehouse to full-time podcaster. So you're here to, <laughs> That's, to guide us. So I'm in TK right now. When do I you're get TK? When do I make it to K? And <laughs> I don't know <laughs> and, and can you color inside the lines because that's a big you know requirement for kindergarten uh i mean that's that might be a tall order uh for me but i'll do my best i promise you know what i think editing a podcast already qualifies you in oh, way above that okay. standard so you already win yeah i mean i'm i'm coloring in the lines at like a fifth grade level at least <laughs> Well, it's great to know you have the skills of a 10-year-old, Leland, at drawing <laughs> at drawing, and at podcasting. That's twice as good as a five-year-old. There's nothing to balk at, okay? There you go. At, le at least you know your, your multiplication. You know, I can get Marvel from downstairs, and she can show you how podcasting is, and it's pretty much holding the mic and going, ah, wah, wah, ah, wah, ah, wah, wah, wah. Hello, hello. <laughs> well, you know, I've listened to some podcasts podcast recently that i've stumbled upon that aren't much better than that so <laughs> marvel's 
getting pretty good. Like everyone in their dog has their podcast now. And there's certain people that have asked me who probably don't listen to the show, but I won't won't hint at these people who are like, you know, hey, Moby, can you help me start a podcast? Eh, you know, you might want to do like a little skill or talent assessment first. <laughs> there is. We talked about this last episode when I was on. We were talking about how everyone and their mother thinks it's easy to make a podcast. And then you listen to some of them and it's absolute garbage. And you're just thinking, yes, you have the balls to publish this and you have the right to like, you know, put. The, but do people really want to listen to this is the the main question. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like it, it's to the point where with a few people where I mean, yeah, you're right. We talked about this last podcast. That's the people that actually record a podcast i get a lot of people i'm like well you got to start by you know buying a decent mic and getting a you know a audacity or whatever to record your voice and all of a sudden i go oh whoa i didn't know it was that much work i'm like well what is it supposed to be like a microphone that's drone just the just equipment in front of you we haven't yeah. even talked about like the setting up, you know, all of these dates, making the podcast schedule or the skeleton and like going through, you know, who's going to say what and um, cues and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a, once again, it's a lot of fucking work. <laughs> right. And in in editing, because I tend to have had this discussion with more effervescent uh right brain types like Shannon and myself. Leland, I don't know if you're a fucking left or right brain, but for the purposes of this conversation, you'll be left brain. Okay. I don't know what either of those means, but all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, right right brained are like, you know, the big ideas people, but they tend to not have focus. And so you get a lot of people, or I know a lot of people that want a podcast because they enjoy talking. And that's it. That that's where it ends. And so, you know, Leland and I don't forget this, that he has to go through hours of editing for every single podcast we do. And that's a lot of work. And the same people that just want to talk, when I bring up editing to them, I was joking about the whole microphone thing, audacity thing. That That's a joke. What's not a joke is when I explain the editing process to people, then they're like, oh, oh, it's like deflating. Like, yeah, editing. Oh, that's not me. Oh, you know, I want to talk. I just don't want to listen to myself having talked and edited. So. Yeah, no, Leland's a god. That's like, that's all I can say. Because you, I, I probably have talked about this multiple times on your guys' podcast alone, about how editing used to give me a full-blown panic attack after I had Marvel, because it took me so much time. I wasn't good at it. So anybody who can edit, I mean, whether it's video, audio, it doesn't forget. You are a god, in my opinion, because that shit is talent. Like, so Leland, right. I bow down to you because I, I actually, for TGOM podcast, we, I have, I send all of our audio out and have somebody else do it. And I pay to have it done because I, one, don't have the sanity, the time to do it. And I feel like that's a way better use of my time and energy. It's just paying someone who, who does it for me. So Leland, you're the God. I'd be doing that if there wasn't Leland here. Now I can't call him a God, but I will pleasantly tip my hat to him. slightly. <laughs> In a sign of, but do you uh, enjoy it, Leland? Like, do you really? I do. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's not like it's a grind, and I'm like, this sucks. No, I, I do actually like it. Yeah, yeah. And I think Leland secretly enjoys me bringing new blood, cool new people that I find everywhere. Because I have no problem just approaching someone anywhere that I think would be good and be like, "Hey, you want to be on the podcast?" Whether I meet them on like youtube or find their podcast or a comment section you of, found me in craigslist 
found you on Craigslist, found other people on Craigslist, found people in real life that I've just bumped into and been like, hey, so a podcast, have you ever considered? Yeah. And then referrals. Referrals are the best when you don't even have to do any work and people just refer, oh, my cool friend does this. Then it's, it's awesome. Uh, yeah. So that it was great catching up with you. We should jump into the banter segment, though, depending, you know, we're not sure how how big it is. But uh, yeah, I got a couple banters. Um, Shannon, did you come with anything to discuss? Um, OK, I have just finished a Netflix documentary, whatever movie, whatever you want to call it, about the Pez outlaw. OK, and it's about this guy who completely changed how you get free stuff and he like basically tried to like take down pez and was like trying to screw over pez it was an hour and a half probably a wasted time but it was just mind-blowing what this guy he's like super old and has like a beard down to white beard down to his belly button and he basically did it all for his wife so that she could have like the best life Um, but he used to basically get the free cereal stuff. You would send in the coupons and everything. Well, he was going to the recycling center and getting all the boxes and then cutting them all out, getting them sent to the house and then selling them for like three, four times what like, you know, he didn't get, you know, would have cost him for a box of cereal. And so then he collected cereal boxes for a while and then he found Pez and then he was going over to Europe basically and going to the Pez factories, getting all the Pez's that Pez USA wasn't going to release and releasing them into the black market to basically like, yeah, it was crazy. So basically (laughs) the reason why that there's a disclaimer that says only one per household is because of this dude. Okay. One, you know, one item per household or you only get one free. Yeah. That he's the he's the reason why. And uh, yeah, he tried to blow up Pez and it got to a point where he was going to make he basically invested a quarter of a million dollars to like make his own Pez variants to like go off the black market. And the U.S. Pez guy basically got a hold of the protos that he was making and made the same ones and sold them right as he was going to release them, basically screwing Whoa. him royal. It was. Yeah. We watched this guy go up. It was like a roller coaster up, and then he got screwed so bad. So um, if you want to waste an hour and a half of your life um, and you're interested in, like, hobby collectibles and that kind of world, um, yeah, the Pez Outlaw was my my thing I had to share with you guys. And you know what? I bought one Pez collectible. One. And it was at some little boutique candy store when I was in uh, Cannon Beach, Oregon. And it was 25th edition Star Trek Next Generation sealed. It had all the, it had like all the cast. I'm looking at it right now. There's Data, Riker. Yep. Funko even did Pez. See, but it's like, I thought it was going to be worth a lot of money because I spent like 120 bucks Canadian on it, which is like $90 oh American. God. And it's worth, <laughs> it's worth $20 now Canadian on eBay. <laughs> new. No. So. I pick my candy like oh, I pick my man. stocks, which is bad. <laughs> that that one's yeah. Pez is one of those things where it kind of tried to come back with Funko because like Funko did a Funko Pez line. Now we're into sodas. Now we're into mini candies. Like what will Funko think of next? Um, yeah. But watching Pez and how like how long their journey has been, you kind of just have to go whoa. You guys started as this tiny little candy and then you bought up like they're the original franchise buying, you know, toy company because they had wow. to buy each of these Star Wars, Hanna-Barbera, whatever they wanted to make a Pez out of. They had to go buy those licensing. And that's one of the first candy companies or really companies to do that. 
Wow. Right. That is cool. I wrote that down. I'm going to watch that. That's totally my kind of waste of time. I got to be honest. Between that and The Last of Us, that's like been my only two things that I've been able to to watch recently. Leland, have you been watching The Last of Us? Uh, no. Okay. Yeah, neither neither have I. It's nothing against. I just, I've never played the game, so I don't. I don't know the IP. I probably have told you guys this, but I have only played two video games in their entirety in my entire life besides like Mario Party, Mario Kart. Okay. Like basic games like that. Okay. Last of Us and the Grey's Anatomy Wii game. Okay. <laughs> only two games <laughs> I've done to finish by myself. Oh, actually Banjo-Kazooie. Okay. I lie. Banjo-Kazooie. But my brothers may like say that they helped with some bosses. I'm going to say no. Okay. Those are the games. But yes, Last of Us was one of those games. I was super proud of myself that I like played a big girl game. Like I thought that was like a big and I'm I was in my 20s, mind you. 20s. It was the remastered edition when it came out before I was married. But I played the entire game from start to finish. And so when they announced that it was coming out, because originally it wasn't Pedro Pascal who was running. It was supposed to be uh, Norman Reedus from right. uh, Walking Dead. So and we were in the big Walking Dead, collected all the Walking Dead Funkos. So I was already sold on it, but now seeing it in its like its form, I love it. I appreciate it. Um, do I want to play the game again? Hell no, but I, I'm enjoying the TV version of it. So I'm enjoy. I'm ready to have this conversation about TVs and video games and stuff like that today because I'm like, there's a lot of video games and TV that or movies that go both ways that I've really enjoyed. Yeah, and maybe that's a, a good um, segue into one of the banters I've got. It's the slightly longer of the two. The other's more just like, this is out there. But um, I've been playing through a video game recently, bought to me, bought for me by Ghost Marty, former host, Ooh. former permanent host. Rest in peace. Yes, rest in peace. He's enjoying <laughs> the heat in hell right now. Somehow got a succubus pregnant as well. Ooh. So. <laughs> I, uh, I've been playing through better, a game called... I hope he can't hear you down there calling his wife a succubus. <laughs> oh, he'd laugh. He'd laugh. He has a sense of humor, unlike yourself. No. Oh. <laughs> play nice, boys. We'll play nice. I've, I've been playing this game, and I think I complained about this to Leland, but I've been playing this game called Disco Elysium, and it's a role-playing game. It has no violence. You, you're like this detective who wakes up after like a three-day drug and alcohol bender. And you basically have to piece together not only the crime, but who you are, like everything, like you have 100% amnesia. You're basically just wearing a vomit stained suit and that's about it. So yeah, so it has no violence. It has no action. What it does have is when you have a, a, there's lots of dialogue. Everything is like spoken recorded dialogue. And these dice rolls come up like for an RPG. Um, and some of the dice rolls are white. Most of them are, meaning if you fail, you can come back later and do it again. The problem is, no matter what stats I have, it seems like the percentage for all the die rolls is really low that you would succeed. And the only way to get another chance at redoing the die roll is to improve that skill when you level up. But when you level up, you only get one skill point to improve one out of 24 skills. And not only are there 24 skills, there's something called thoughts, which are essentially hidden skills. But when you choose to take that hidden skill, you also have to pay a point. So what I'm doing in the game is I'm basically, okay, this has a 3% chance. 
It's white. Roll it. Oh, look, I failed. Come back later when I level up with another skill point. Oh, now it's a 9% chance. Roll. Fail. Okay, well, do I really want to do this one? I guess so. Level up again. 15% chance. Like, that's the kind of increments. And I, I can't tell if I'm doing something wrong or that this very critically acclaimed video game actually just has like this gaping hole in its design that nobody else seems to notice, which is how linear it forces you to get in order to progress the game, do these checks. All I do, you get experience by talking. So all I do is I feel like I fail a check. I go around to NPCs, talk, 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 get little bits of experience, listening to the same lines they've given me like three hours ago, just enough to level up, go back, roll, fail. And honestly, like I'm I'm getting to the point where I almost want to give up on the game just because it's not fun anymore. I would have given up like, like after like the second time I had to level up, be like, F this game. They're just trying to waste my time. It's kind of totally. like, it's kind of like those games. It's like Facebook. When Facebook first came out, we had Farmville and you either had to wait the time or you had to put in money. And I, those, it, it'd be one of those games where I'd be tempted to put in the money and then I'd stop myself before I press buy and be like, Shannon, what the hell are you doing? Don't do it. Don't be a sucker. Yeah. And I mean, like some of it is really unrealistic too. Like I know it's a, I, I mean, I'm in complete ag- agreement with you, but so the game takes place over like seven days and each day is pretty long. It's probably like an hour, hour and a half. You just progress. And one of the days I had was I had to get like a deep freeze open and it's like, oh, it's frozen shut. So I used a crowbar on it. It's like, oh, your crowbar is too weak. So, but there was a plug and I pulled the plug out. And so the next day it's like, oh, the freezer is unfrozen. And then I found a huge honking crowbar and I still failed the skill check. And, and my physical ability of my character is actually pretty high. It's like moderate athlete. And I remember I just sat for a moment. I'm like, really? You're playing a role-playing game. You have a freezer that you've defrosted. You have a giant honking crowbar and your physical level is like, like almost athlete and you can't open a deep freeze. It's like really to progress the game. And I honestly, it just seems like poor design to me. That's why I brought it up. Well, it sounds like they're just trying to make you spend more and more time into the game because the more yeah. you, you know what I'm trying to say? Like the only way to progress is to spend more time in the game playing the things. And yeah, that may be its downfall or they're just really smart for getting you to play the game more. They are if they they keep you, right? Like this is the whole J.J. Abrams mystery box thing. And where I go into this is, you know, I love the first season of Lost. And I know we brought it up at least once on the podcast before, I think in the last year. But I love the first season of Lost. But when it left me on that kind of cliffhanger on the finale, I'm like, no, I'm not going to be part of this. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to waste my time because I don't think this is ever going to be fully explained. And sure enough, I mean, I didn't watch the series finale, but apparently it was never fully explained. Lost. So I'm like, okay, I made a good decision there. But, you know, I don't I don't like mystery box things like you're saying, where it's like, oh, we want to make you progress. So go do like two hours of busy work and come back for another small chance. At that point, what's the difference of me playing that game for two hours or taking $10 to the local casino and just pulling the slot five times. At least I'll get more rolls. That is true. <laughs> I'd rather take it to the slot. 
But then I, I, I guess there's two ways of seeing it. And we, I think we've talked about this, like probably on the first podcast is like the, where, where gaming takes you, you know, you either see gaming as a way to pass time or, or you, or, or you see it as an escape, I guess. Um, you know what I'm trying to say? And either way, I mean, it sounds like you passed time and you enjoyed it and now you're just not enjoying it. So are you going to give it your time anymore? Yeah. Yeah. And you're you're completely right, Shannon. And the the only other point I wanted to bring up on the topic, because it is a banter, so I should fly through it, is, you know, I know Leland knows as a longtime dungeon master for the Encourageable Party, Leland cannot build a campaign where someone fails a check to open a critical door to advance the story, and then they just have to go away for a session, back to a town they came from, killing the same old monsters that Leland populates there, just to come back later after leveled up and open the same door. If that happened, Leland would not have a podcast for the Encourageable Party. I can tell you that. So that was my point. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's that's true. It just <laughs> it does sound uh, like something is missing. Well, like you said, either it's <laughs> something you're missing or something that the game is missing. I, I don't know. I, I do have Disco Elysium myself. I have yet to play. So I did like before you explained it to me uh, the other weekend. I, like, I didn't even know really what type of game it was. Like, I didn't, I had no clue. It was just like, oh, Ghost Marty enjoyed it. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll like it too. Uh, now I'm. Now it sounds like maybe I won't. I don't know. Honestly, when I heard the name, I just started laughing. I'm like, it sounds like something like Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> I was really disappointed. <laughs> it. In a dystopian way, it kind of is. But uh, I mean, like in the fact, like your character does love disco. And part of the problem is he wears all this off-putting disco clothing in the beginning that it gives you some buffs, but it makes a lot of people not like you. So you have to change some of that clothing out. But yeah, I've spent a lot of time on this. Um, Leland, I want to jump to you. Do you have a first banter to bring up? Uh, No, nothing specific, honestly. Like, I'm just gearing up to... My my month in the Netherlands, and that's kind of what I'm focusing on. So that's about it. <laughs> whoop whoop, party on, party yeah. on. As we told Shannon off air, you know Leland and I have to cram a bunch of episodes in to short time frames. So listener, if you notice a temporary bump in quality to the negative, uh, just forgive us. <laughs> Realize that by <laughs> April we should be back on track. No, 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 no. It'll be it'll be okay. We always have fun. You guys are, once again, Leland's a god, and the thought of having to do that many episodes, like you guys were saying, gives me a full-blown panic attack just thinking about it. And I'm not even, like, I just have to sit here and talk. So, I mean, I've got the most low-pressure job here. Oh, yeah. Leland, I mean, Leland is an editing god. He's editing right now, and he's doing a podcast. He's editing. I've been editing this whole time. <laughs> and he's got his other ear doing the podcast. He just splits his attention that well. He's a machine, baby. <laughs> if he could do that, are you seriously doing that? Because that would no, be no. right now. I almost believed him. He said that really straight late. <laughs> I legit almost believed you. I thought, oh my God, he is fucking awesome. <laughs> and that's how you know you're a geek, Leland. Well, a only only the left side of my brain can edit. The right side is the one that records. So <laughs> I learned right. that today. <laughs> that is a good pull. <laughs> that is a good point. 
Well, the only other banter I've got, unless Shannon, you've got one, and it's very quick because I'm not really into the show, but I think it's a big announcement as far as streaming goes, but um, King of the Hill is coming back to Hulu, like a full revival. Shut up. Really? No, I'm not. Minus, they're just, they're leaving out Brittany Murphy's character, Luann, just like, like out. Like, just don't discuss it because, of course, Brittany Murphy died. It was very tragic. And they're just going to plow on with everybody else. And it's just going to be 2023, all in new circumstances. But all the other voice actors are back. Everybody else who's okay is back. That's really awesome. I'm really, I, we just finished watching the 90s show uh, reboot on Netflix. Because we were huge, that 70s show fan. My husband refers to me as Red and Kitty at the same time. Because I will tell you to shove it up your ass. But I also drink margarita (laughs) happily like a crazy woman. Um, but we just finished that. It was so amazing. I love the '90s show. Like, no, it it's so terrible. No, oh no, no. It was, it was yeah. no. But it was like it was like a good bad though. It's like it's so hokey. Like it, it's nothing like that '70s show. But that '70s show was so pure. Like I think that's like I that. I always tend to think now we will never get something like Friends or like those kind of Buffy, you know what I'm trying to say? Dawson's Creek, those kind of shows that we grew up on. I think we are past that era. We're now in this fast binge. What can what's going to satisfy me right now? And we're never going to reach that. So comparing, yeah, that 70s show in an era where we were watching it week after week and we invested how many years into that series Compared to the 90s shows, quick little flip. Okay, I'm going to give you how many episodes in one night. And here you go. Here's your little, you know, kick back to nostalgia. It, it was the perfect nostalgia kick. But I, I understand where I, I understand where you're coming from, Leland. It wasn't as satisfying as that 70s show. But I think it's just the way that the world has kind of progressed since that 70s show. Now, yeah. Shannon... Okay, I should He's let like, Leland no. go. But... He's like, no. Yeah. He, he doesn't change his mind this season. I, <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> I enjoyed watching it, but like, I enjoyed how bad it was. And I definitely laughed at multiple, like, there are, there are plenty of funny jokes in it. Uh, and it is nice seeing some of the old characters back. Uh, about half of the new characters were not entirely annoying. The other half were incredibly annoying. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, to put, I watched it with my brother on a on an iPad uh, in a ferry lineup one weekend. We just blitzed through it, and I don't know if I wasn't watching it then if I would have watched it. Oh, you know okay. what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if I would have. There was two major moments for me that were just like nostalgic kick, and it was when Ashton Kutcher came through that first door when you find out that who his son is. And I found out that last episode was done by um, the lady who plays Donna. Um, but she actually uh, directed them. Yeah, yes, yes. She directed those last two episodes. And when okay. they do that read back to the 70s show and they're going around in the stoner yeah. circle, yeah, like yeah. that hit me so hard in the core and made me like, I know they probably pulled all of that from like old, you know, vintage footage that nobody had ever seen. But it was just like, Oh, you had to go there. Like, thank you. I needed this because um, I think a lot of the other TV that we watch is just fucking crap right now. Like, I just like you've got I've got to be solidly invested. And you got to tell me that it's really, really good for me to watch it because I'm I, I got not enough time to watch crap. Now. So were you, are you were you a fan of Full House and did you like yes. Fuller House? So you like the OK uh, Fuller House. Fuller House was the same kind of thing. 
it wasn't it was. the same. You know, it's a kind of the same. It wasn't the same as it's Fuller same. as Full House, but okay, it was a continuation. It gave you that nostalgia kick. I don't. It's no different than like when Will and Grace did their reboot for a little while. It'd be you know, um, some reboots are done well, and some are just executed like shit. Like we look at Murphy Brown, like that didn't survive more than a season. Well, true, yeah. <laughs> and like Friends got brought back on HBO, so you know, like certain certain fan bases there i know people are begging for a dawson's creek i'm i'm one of those chicks like please just give me the creek back or buffy <laughs> whatever comes first the creek the creek the i creek. love that i was never into the creek so it took me like a moment to like think about it oh that must be a nickname for dawson's creek yep there you go that was like my religious like what i did i watched that show i had him on like vhs tapes that was like my oh, favorite show. Wow. That and Buffy That's was like awesome. my two go-to shows like all through high school. I'm loving this because you're just, I mean, the, these shows are of my era. I should say our era. So you're bringing like warm fuzzies just in general of me thinking back to those times. I mean, for me, I was more geeky than you were, I guess, at the time. So I'd be like setting, setting my timer recording on my VHS for Star Trek after I had to go to bed when I was in like grade eight or nine, like Star Trek used to play really late out here, the reruns. And then it's like the next day, did it record properly? Yes, it did. I would never forgive my brother for filming over uh, the finale, or it was like one of the season finales of Dawson's Creek. And he recorded like some, like he had messed with the buttons and yeah. Oh man, dude. Thank God my best friend recorded it too. So I just went over to the next door to her house and, and watched it. But yeah, the world almost ended on that day because <laughs> I was pissed. <laughs> you know, you know what sucked about those VHS recordings is, you know, I grew up. My dad wasn't very conservative, but my mom is a conservative Christian, and she had some weird guidelines when it came to media growing up. Like she didn't actually care about violence, but she cared about sex a lot. Yeah, and so like I remember when she taped Top Gun for me, and Top Gun's my, you know, as you know, it's my favorite movie of all time. It's a meme on this show. And it's like, you know, Kelly McGillis and Tom Cruise are like about to get it on. And like Kelly McGillis is like licking her tongue at Tom Cruise. And because my mom knew of that scene, she suddenly like flips it to channel two. And we have like this old newscaster who's like super monotone named Tony Parsons. And he's just be like, yeah, in other news today, the National Democratic Party applied for 3% increases to nurses. All while they're having sex, right? That's how my recording of Titanic was. Like I'm laughing because that's my childhood with Titanic (laughs) and American pie. American pie was not allowed. Like, and me and my brothers would like literally wait for my parents to either not be home or go to the grocery store. So we could go flip to the channels that we knew my parents had to swear to God to catch American pie. Cause we had to know what all of our friends were talking about. So I I'm dying laughing right now. I'm dying (laughs) laughing. We had to know what happened at Bandcamp. (laughs) and then you have right and then your mom covers over it now tony parsons is like there's a a rash of pies that have holes in them at local supermarkets i'm not sure what's happening there but let's go to our live on scene reporter and then it just flips back to the normal american pie mine was the cd recordings where you could get like the mixtapes of love's greatest hits in 30 32 cds it was like so many of them were covers right so it'd be like, you know, I want to listen to My Heart Goes goes On by, you know, Celine Dion for Titanic. And instead you get some like husky voice coyote ugly singer like, 
Once more, open the door. That's not Celine Dion. (laughs) (laughs) That's $3.99 worth of Celine Dion right there. That's what I buy. So Marvel has this box. It's called the Tonys. And it's really, really cool. It they come with these little characters, right? And it's a speaker. And when you put the character on top of the Tony box, it starts singing songs and tells you stories. It's like an audio story thing. And Marvel's got all these characters, right? And they come with like all these princesses and all these licensed characters. You put them on the Tony, it does not sound like Elsa. Let me tell you that. (laughs) It is not Rapunzel. It is a knockoff. And what gets me, my husband is like, you knew you had to pay them for licensing these. Could you have just not? Could you, could you have just spent the little extra money to make sure you got the right recordings yeah. within too? Because it's it is a noticeable difference. It's it's definitely a noticeable difference. But yeah, yeah. Like instead of "Let It Go," you have like Elsa singing like "Keep Holding On, Keep Holding On, Don't Ever." release your fist it's the same song <laughs> instead of it's, let it go it's almost like kids bop where like it's the same it's the same it's just yeah, a different yeah. voice and you know it's right. not rihanna singing you know singing that song or whatever yeah <laughs> i just yeah elsa doesn't sound like elsa when it comes to tony's <laughs> what a waste all right we're getting mad we need to have like a toy episode or something like what's wrong with toys Compared to what we grew up with. Uh, number Episode number six with me. You guys know I'm good for toys. I've got a crap ton yeah, right? in my garage. <laughs> I, I actually am writing a note of that. You know, this is a good seed to discuss toys, to work in toys to our next episode together. I've literally written that down. I did the work for you guys. I, I want to take credit for that. <laughs> you will be co-producer. I'm writing Woo-woo. that as well for that episode. <laughs> If Leland gets to be God, then I get to be the law. And what I write is the you law. You are Sheriff oh, Moby. Okay. <laughs> Sheriff it. Moby. Well, we we've got we've got <laughs> we've got Zellers back now in Canada, right, Leland? True. So the lowest yeah. price is the law. <laughs> <laughs> That's their old tag. Oh my goodness. Okay. We're okay, moving we're going, on. Of course. We're okay, already on the, the topic segment. of music. Okay, we're already on the top of music, so we're gonna move into our hybrid segment movie is titled it the songs that redefine us so this was like uh this was prompted with you know the popularity of uh kate bush recently from being involved in season four of stranger things uh running up that hill like it rocketed up this 80s song to like number one on itunes in july of 2022 right uh immensely popular so i just thought it was interesting to maybe chat about and uh, you know, each of us kind of bring up uh, one or two songs that when you think of the song, rather than it like representing like that band or that band's values, it actually represents another form of media made like a movie or, or a TV show. I thought that's incredibly interesting. And I don't know how, how, uh, how big the two of you are on the TikToks, but an app like that also has plays a, a role in, just in it alone, a huge role in popularizing songs. Uh, really, it's like 10 second clips of those songs. But if you see uh, if if a sound, they call it on there, is gets popular, it's going to be on every like more than half of your your feed on the right. You flipping through and you're going to hear this fucking song with whatever video is playing, whatever video is laid on top of it. Right? 
I just find it really, really interesting how something other than the song hooks you. It's like a, it's like a, not a a reverse earworm, but it's like a, it's like a variant of the earworm because it's not the song that's putting it in and keeping it in your head, but something else that does it. Do you guys feel like it's kind of like back in the MySpace era where you got to code your song to your profile? Like just certain songs are going to like they may resonate with one person differently than you. But this like this song is me. Um, And that's kind of how I feel about like the movies. When I hear certain songs, they relate to certain places I was where where I heard that the first time and how I felt watching that. I know for a while there, CW did that with the CW uh, Arrowverse. Sorry, that's where I was going with this. With the Arrowverse trailers, they would use really just non-popular songs. And as soon as they were put into the trailers, everyone would be on the boards asking, what is this song in the trailer? Like, I, I need to download it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. I actually, in my research for doing this, I found an article by Billboard as in like Billboard Top 100, on this exact phenomena. And it was pretty interesting what they said. They basically said that this whole sort of thing with putting an old song in a movie and the song becomes really popular and charts started actually only in 1987 with the release of Ferris Bueller's Day Off with uh, Twist and Shout, where Ferris Bueller does that on the the float. They said that was the start. Then they said this was like a very common phenomena. They list like lots of movies, like um, a bunch I haven't seen, but they're they're popular. Um, so Ghost, Good Morning Vietnam, Stand By Me, Wayne's World. They all made various songs, uh, old songs popular. But then this died in the 90s, about 1993, just like new music, like everything in your movie or TV has to be a new score or use contemporary music. And that became a thing up until like the 2010s. And then it's in the 2010s again, where you start to see stuff like what happened in Stranger Things pop up. Really what blew the doors open on this phenomena post year 2000 was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, where they ended up pumping tons of songs that charted to the point that they released a mixtape. And not only did they release a mixtape, they released a literal mixtape on a tape, on a cassette, a pretty much dead format. The kids shows also did that. You, They had Guardians of the Galaxy. And I was just reading, too, that you had Sing and we had Trolls come out. And all, if you look, listen to those soundtracks, which I highly doubt you guys have because you guys don't have kids. But I have extensively listened to them to no end. They're basically covers of old songs. And they basically cut them to make them popular for the kids and the newer generation. Because me and my husband are listening. We're like... We haven't listened to this song since we were a kid. And my my daughter knows the words to it. And we're like, right. how do you how do you know that? Oh, trolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that that is interesting. You know, I think that's good in a way for parents because it'll help parents be more engaged in the movie. You gotta sit through it anyways, right? And I think that's why one of the genius parts of Pixar is they put in that adult level of humor that the kids just have a blank stare at, just literally don't get it. So you get that humor. Now you have some good music. Now as a parent, you're like, okay, fine. There's worse ways I could spend, you know, an hour and a half, right? I mean, there's a difference between listening. I can listen to Trolls more than I can listen to Frozen's Let It Go, okay? Like, I'm going to be really honest. Because Trolls, at least, I'm going to get different styles of music in that entire album. 
between the two albums that they have because of course there's trolls and then trolls world tour people um so, of course <laughs> of course and so you know it's yeah they're it's one of those things like I appreciate seeing this, the other movie with all the animated animals and everything like that. That's all different covers by celebrities. Really? That that's all it is. I don't know what else to say on that particular topic, but that that's just awesome. And you're right. We're completely disconnected. Leland and I from the, the kid world, who knows ghost Marty once his kid turns into a toddler in a couple of years, you know, maybe we'll be introduced to this stuff more and more, but I hope not. Is, I have a question for you guys. Is there any show that you've watched where you can like name the show as soon as you hear the song? Ah, uh, like yeah, I think there's song? a few. If a theme song or just you know that song came from that series? Yeah, I, I think there's several cases I could do that. I think my mind works a little bit more for that than Leland. I'm always dumping trivia he doesn't give a shit about in our signal chat like every five minutes. So... But my mind totally does that. I mean, it's almost like, you know, name a movie. I could tell you a, a track from it. And well, in our in our current discussion with older songs, this really isn't as relevant. But let's just say like a, a movie that I were to listen to tomorrow had like a really iconic track and I love the movie. Um, in 20 years from now, that music helps tie me to the time when I saw it. Right. It, it provides an anchor. And I really like that because that anchor grows fonder with nostalgia. That's how I feel about Wayward Son. As soon as I hear Wayward Son, I automatically think Supernatural and just like yeah. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. OK, that's 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 my jam. Like, I know it. hundred yeah, percent. Umbrella Academy did that same thing to me. There was a season where the music was I can't remember if it was season one or season two. But there was a playlist that came out with all the songs on it. And it was a freaking killer playlist. But every time I hear a song off that playlist, I immediately think Umbrella, uh, Umbrella Academy on Netflix yeah, every single time. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I could throw like a, you know, a thousand examples, but, um, you know, I'm in complete agreement. I mean, uh, one thing I did want to ask is with Kate Bush in Stranger Things specifically, do either of you have any theory why that song became pot so popular because i saw the scene i've i've seen the show it was cool like i think it's a cool 80s song one i didn't actually recall hearing and i'm huge into the 80s but uh i thought it was cool but i didn't think it would like if i alone like would be posting on facebook oh this kate bush song is the best thing ever like i guess it's kind of catchy leland do you have an opinion on this one <sighs> I think that's a really good question because not and honestly, to me, it's somehow now that they are just so entwined that that never question that question didn't like come up to be asked in my mind. You know what I mean? So now that you pose it, uh, it seems like it's difficult to put into words. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess literally the song is talking about running and like. Max literally it does run, you know, in the <laughs> so maybe that is like they're they're smartly tying physical actions that you were seeing on screen and bombarding more than one single sense, uh, not empowering but enforcing what you are seeing. Maybe that's what it is, and I don't know because I don't think the I wouldn't call that song like a like an 80s like power ballad like it's not like a it's not like a bonnie tyler like i need a hero 
like now that's a fucking power ballad, right? Like that's a great song um, from a similar era. So I wouldn't definitely wouldn't call it that, but I think for sure the there's a struggle within the lyrics of the song. I think the song tells its own story that in this instance kind of runs parallel with the story again, that we are seeing physically portrayed through actions and movement on the screen. So maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Let me ask you top gun and danger zone. Clear. Like surely those two are linked for you in your mind, right? Absolutely. So do you feel strongly that that is a great song for that film? I do. Yes, I do. Okay. How come? Well, because the danger zone is literally the part of the airspace where they're allowed to do the top gun engagements, like fire pretend missiles at each other. And when they leave that, it's called the hard deck. So the song is highway to the danger zone. So like the speedway to where they're going to go have like a mock dog fight. And um, that's what happens in every scene that that song is used. Oh, well, ha- have you thought about this, Leland? Because this is how I kind of feel about it. Is when I think of that season of Stranger Things, I immediately think of the Katie Bush song. Why? Because the most pivotal moment in that entire season was that moment Max was levitating and they hit that that song. Okay. There is no yeah. other song in that entire season that I can go, yeah, I remember that song. That was, song was played. The only song I remember is the Katie Bush. So I think it really, if I read somewhere correctly, it came down to licensing and when they played all the songs that they had the licensing for, that song hit the best in that moment. And they were like, nope, this is the song we have to do. And they actually had to double back to her because she actually rescinded. She's like, no. And then they had to like, no, no, no. We really need to use oh, this wow. song. I bet she's happy she did that. Yeah. yeah I mean, cha-ching. think about it. She hasn't made... I mean, who's been playing that song since the 80s? So this is the first time she's going to get royalties on Apple Music and all those kind of things. Um, Right, right, right. So for for somebody like that, you have to think, well, this is life changing for her. And you can't be like, okay, cool. She will always forever now be known as not the 80s lady. She'll be known as the Stranger Things Things, season theme song for it. (laughs) And that's how I feel it is like when you think Top Gun, I automatically think danger zone titanic my heart will go on like right, right, right. that's the I, climax I, right yeah i think that's the yes. beauty of a good movie is that you have to have a good movie and a good soundtrack just like the tv show and umbrella academy like i was talking earlier it makes it more enjoyable when you can then listen to the song and go that's not umbrella academy i miss watching that show you know like oh i should you know rewatch it and i also think availability plays a big role meaning that Nowadays, or for the past 20 years, we'll call it, if that song is not played often and then it becomes popular, you associate it there because you're not like, oh, I grew up with it, uh, you know, every day. You know, one I found on this list um, from Billboard was uh, Journeys Don't Stop Believing used in Sopranos. Now, I've seen several Sopranos, including the finale where that song was used, didn't remember it. Why? Well, because I grew up with lots of other good memories listening to Don't Stop Believing in the like first thought that comes to me was a very sunny Saturday, like many helping my dad wash his car at the local car wash and he'd leave his radio on and, and Don't Stop Believing was playing. So because that song was available in other spaces and I've emotionally connected it stronger to those other places, then I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it was in The Sopranos, right? But like Danger Zone, sure, it was probably played the hell out of on the radio 
around Top Gun, but not since. Same goes for Kate Bush's song. Same goes for the song that I was going to bring up that I haven't brought up yet. And what do they have all in common is I'll call it relative uniqueness. Like, of course, you could have heard the song somewhere else, but the majority of people's emotional connections is with that new property. Hmm. I, I I agree. I think that's, yeah, that's a really, that's a great point because it really does come down to when an individual experiences some, like, and what they tie to something, right? Like a completely, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I think it would, it would take a pretty strong reinforcement. Like in your case with don't stop, like it would take a very strong reinforcement to quote unquote, overwrite that feeling that you have when you hear that song. Right. Yeah. I'll give you, do you, do you want my example? I mean, only yes. one. please it to hit me. me. So it's actually from a, it's actually from a TV show at the end of the, this first like five year period that billboard talks about where this was a thing. And it's, it's actually the TV show cops. Like this took me no thinking. So cops, when I was a kid, that was like one of the few shows that was the big family gathers around and watches. And of course the song bad boys by inner circle, that song had actually been out since 1988, I believe might've been 87 could be 88, but it only became popular in 93 when it was used as that theme song. And even now, not when I see like one cop, but if I see like two or three pulled over at like an instance that that theme song comes to my head and it has ever since the early nineties. Totally. That's a really good example. So that, that is my one best example I have. You know, what I'm going to find interesting, and mark my words, this is going on a podcast, though I'll be able to Google it later in life, hopefully, if Google's still around in my elderly days. It'll be really interesting when we're much older and, you know, and they start putting Beyonce and Doja Cat and like yeah. into the songs and like they get reinvented and we're like, yeah, I remember dancing to that in the club, like little John and stuff like that. Like, that's what <laughs> I'm waiting for. Like I'm waiting for like everyone to be like oh yeah this was the cool generation of music because we really did that with now with the 80s and 90s music's now coming back because that's the new cool thing to do i guess yeah i'm kind of waiting for the beyonce doja cat like rap era come back like how are they going to make that work into a romantic film or whatever else they're (laughs) or whatever crap you see you're, you're talking as if like that's inevitable I don't think that it is. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I think there is something different about these eras of music that we're seeing become more popularized. I just think there has to be something else there other, in addition to the media that it's being tied to again, for like a younger generation, like your, like your daughter hearing these songs will, unless told otherwise, somebody experiencing those songs for the first time through like trolls world tour or whatever, we'll have no idea who actually sings that song. They will forever associate it with that movie. They will. And again, unless corrected or unless they, they take the impetus on themselves to, to seek it out and look more into it, they'll just never know. So like, it's almost like a, a loss of accreditation for the original artist too, because it's being reassociated and overwritten with whom it is thought of, right? Well, think of it this way. As a parent, 
you now have to realize all of their music is coming from an app, from an app, you know, whether it's Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you call it, it's coming from an app. They have all of the access at their fingertips. You guys are in the same age bracket as I were. We were in the CD era. Your parents had to buy the music in order for you to listen to it. And your parents only bought music they wanted to listen to unless you were buying it with your own allowance. And that's at least how it was. So I grew up on a lot of 80s and 70s rock because of my dad. And my mom was huge into like Pat Benatar, Beatles, 60s music because that's what she was raised on. We're missing that kind of in this next coming generation. They're missing that completely. They're not getting unless I'm like playing hard rock in the car or what I want to listen to, which never happens because the demand is either Nightmare Before Christmas, Trolls or Frozen. Those are the only three choices in my life when I get in the car with my child. And it probably will be for a few more years. But that that's what like they're missing. They're missing that whole experience with music, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting because I think when Marvel hits teenagehood, you know, that's when you typically see this sudden explosion of I want to be individual and listen to this and watch this. And it'll be interesting to see what direction she goes, especially being raised in a household that I know she's going to be free to explore whatever hobbies or pursuits that she wants. So she's going to have this total support of freedom. It'll be interesting to see what she engages. Yeah. That's what I that's where I'm at because I'm very across the board. I like all music except for like polka and my husband's really into country. I can't do country. I just Me I can't neither. do it. Like I I love all country. I just can't do it. So it should be really really interesting. The only good part my husband says is that she got my rhythm because he is like that windsock on like the you know like he can't get to do a rhythm and dance moves. My daughter can hold a beat like nobody else. So we're good in that department. Um it's just like I say, it's gonna be interesting because especially like Leland brought up in the beginning of the discussion, a lot of these music is becoming more popular because of TikTok reels, things like that. And it's as easy as typing in the three lyrics that you freaking heard in that TikTok's 30 seconds. And now you're listening to that whole episode or listening to that whole song or downloading the whole album because now you've discovered this artist that you like or didn't know it was Billie Eilish to even begin with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I actually have this as a point I wanted to bring up. Shazam. Shazam, the app on the phone. Uh, listener, in case you're not familiar with it. Shazam's a very simple app. If you're listening to a song, like whether it's playing on the radio in a restaurant or on your computer, and you don't know what it is and you like it, you open the app, you tap the big button, which is literally all to do on the app to quote unquote Shazam. And it, it's very good at what it does. It'll listen to the music. It can even hear through voices or background noise and tell you what song it is. It's rarely not been able to tell me what a song is. And I've I've Shazam some pretty obscure stuff that's like basically elevator music, but it'll post me back like to the royalty free site where it came from. And like I now probably download double the music that I would have if it wasn't for Shazam. So my question to you two was going to be number one, do you Shazam songs? If you don't, number two, well, Shannon already let the cat out of the bag. Do you do the type into Google thing and try to find songs? 
Apple Music, you just type it into the search bar now into your Apple Music and you can type in the, I do this with kids song because Marvel will come home from school and she'll be singing like the like a sentence of the song. Mama, I want to listen to the song. I want to listen to the song. And if I can't figure out what the song is, then I like that's my best go to. I'm like typing in. All right. Bunnies. Hop, hop, hop. Oh. Oh, hop little buddies, hop, hop, hop. That's <laughs> oh, there right. What's up? What's up? Um, Shazam! And, and we add it to, um, you know, we add it to her playlist. Um, and that's how we kind of, we've got multiple. I mean, I've got all the Trolls soundtrack on one thing. We've got a Disney playlist going. Um, the kid's quite eclectic on music. We're big, like I have music, like playlists, like depending on if I'm working or if I'm out in the yard working out. So, I mean, it's, it just depends, but I don't Shazam. I, I Apple you don't Music. Shazam. I don't Shazam. I, every time you say Shazam, I think of DC's Shazam. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Yeah. I, I mean, you guys stick with your glorious, you know, Apple. I'm, I'm gonna be like a, I'm gonna like portray myself as the underclass, like the working man with his Shazam. Uh-huh. I don't know how to type words. I'm very glad that you've discovered a 10 year old app to figure out what songs. Is are that how good. old it is? Shazam has been around forever, bro. It's not new. Yeah. They used to have a TV show too, where you would guess what the song was. Dude, where have you, what rock have you been living under? I don't know. Apparently like I'm Gen <laughs> X or above now. And I don't know what app is anymore. <laughs> I'm like app, Apple, Apple. She says, talk to apples and you'll figure out songs. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I, I was only introduced to it like like a little over a year ago. Yeah, no, it's been around for forever. It's cool that it still works, I guess. <laughs> Thank you, Leland. I look like an absolute <laughs> idiot and you give me like this thin string of silver lining. Yeah, because Leland, it does a lot when all its function is, is listen to the stupid song. To hit a button, algorithm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that thing is probably scanning the room as well. You guys have that phenomena, right? If you're like thinking like, oh, I really could use a glass of wine tonight. And suddenly your Facebook is like, get 12 wines delivered straight to your door monthly. Like, how did it know this? How? All Mine it does always is says I need it. Dutch bros. It's like, you need Dutch bros. You're right. I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And for Leland, I don't know. What is it all for you? Yeah, Prozac, Leland, what's your Facebook pills? telling you? Prozac. Prozac. I'm just bugging you. <laughs> I'm bugging you. It. Uh, what What was the last thing it suggested? I actually don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> how to get How to get rid of an annoying friend you podcast with. Ten easy <laughs> steps for $5. Leland's like, I Wait, love this where, ad. Where it's should I look? Okay, I'm, I'm going to scroll my Twitter and see what the first Twitter ad is. I would have thought it would be like Dice. Yeah. Or you've still got pumpkins behind you. Are you a pumpkin investor? Like, like special dice, like made out of Trinitrite from New Mexico, where they tested the atomic bombs. Like really rare dice. So my, I am my, my, I call my girlfriend Muffin, and she calls me Pumpkin, Pumpoon oh. in Dutch. So she That's made me super that. Sweet. That's no super sweet. So she crocheted me a pumpkin. I don't even get it. I'm not getting even ads on Twitter. This is uh, making for great content. Look at how bland you are. Did she crochet your little squares behind you? No, I I knit those. Those are mine. No. Yeah, I'm I'm Fuck, very. Is there, a, is there a level? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea he crocheted those. I love you that much. It's more knit. Than... It's knit. I didn't crochet. I don't know how to crochet, but I can knit. 
I'm actually working on a Spider-Man scarf that has that I haven't touched in months because it. Okay, first it started off. First, I found like some really nice red and blue yarn wool. Right, I'm like, oh, cool. These are Spider-Man colors. I'm gonna do something with this. So. Uh, I was going to just be a stripe, stripes, horizontal stripes. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't want that. I want to make them like arrowheads. Like, so I was like, okay, great. Difficult as fuck. <laughs> Pretty difficult. Yes. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. But I actually kind of want a spider on it. So then I like found a spider pattern and I had to adjust it to the size. So like I, I essentially custom made myself a spider pattern. And now I, it's actually looking pretty good so far. I want to see pictures of this. I'm amazed. Like, super cool. When I finish it, uh, yeah, okay. When I finish it. And then I'm like, well, it could use a border too. So now I have like, so now there's like five balls of yarn attached to this thing as I'm switching between the three. It's really complicated. And I, I'm not confident that I could actually get back to it after having not done it for so long. I don't know. Are you having regurts? <laughs> many, many regurts, yes. Well, see, that's the thing. I also was going to knit myself uh, like a sweater vest, uh, like a sleeveless sweater, obviously sleeveless. And then I'm like, well, I want to put buttons on it. So I'm like, okay, I I can do that. And then I was like, but what if I put scales on it? Because that would be cool. (laughs) And put like scales down like where the buttons come and then like on the shoulder on what's left of it. So now I have like a bunch of purple and silver scales. That I, oh, it's a whole fucking thing. It's a whole I love it. Thing. I love it though. I love that you're super crafty and that you have like that talent because I don't I yeah, my mom is super crafty like that. I did not get those skills. So anybody who has it, like I bow down to you because yeah, can't do it. Yeah, my my girlfriend is incredibly talented with all sorts of crafts. She just finished this really crazy looking she made a cardigan in like 22 days. It has like on the front of it and on the sleeves, it's like, it looks like it's braids. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. It's not. I can't. Far above my level, for sure. She should make you a cardigan, though. You look good in those. I want to see your Spider-Man scarf, dude. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I got to finish you'll, it. You'll, I gotta finish you'll, it. Ha- you'll have to show us sometime. But yeah, I didn't even know you had that talent. That's fantastic. You learn something new every day. You learn you something go. new each day. If you just ask me more questions, maybe, maybe you'd <laughs> Instead learn of just more talk, about talk, your friend. Talk, <laughs> let you do my editing while I talk, talk, talk. <laughs> Fill up space. <laughs> Have both of you guys seen the movie Donnie Darko? I'm pretty sure Lee, yeah. Lee Lynn has. Yep. I probably saw it in high school or I probably saw it. I feel like I've seen it. I can't remember. I couldn't tell you what the fuck happened, though. Sorry. Yeah, well, I think I've seen the movie. It's one of my favorites, like top 30, and I've probably seen it like 10 times myself, if not more. I still don't know totally what the fuck's happening in it. But why I brought it up is it has, <laughs> two, it has two pieces of music in it that it recycled from the 80s. And one song became popular, at least in a cultish way like cult classic in the other, I feel the movie didn't make popular, but should have. So in Donnie Darko, the first song is tears for fears. Do you want to rule the world? And that's at the scene where Donnie Darko jumps out of a school bus and without overtly cutting the camera follows him down the hall and basically introduces all the important characters outside of his family in one shot. And that's still shown at film schools today 
actually the whole one shot thing is actually picked up a bit more in recent years, like the movie 1917. So that I felt should have been the song made famous by the movie, but it's actually Gary Jules's cover of also tears for fears, mad world song at the end of the movie that got popular. That's the one where you'll, you'll see Gary Jules sing or amateur singers try to sing a version of his cover. And I've tried to think outside of the obvious why that song became popular and Head Over Heels didn't become popular in this kind of way as like, oh, wow, here's an old song and now suddenly it's all really popular. The only obvious thing is that that song does the tears, uh, the Mad World song does play at the end of the movie when it's the emotional denouement where you're seeing what happens to all the characters, good or bad. Um, so I think there could be that emotional connection there, but otherwise, I don't know why one song and the other song. Well, isn't that any, no different than guardians of the galaxy. There's like some songs on the mixtape that are real hits and you're like, Oh yes, that reminds me of guardians of the galaxy. And then there's other ones where you're like, where the hell did they put this in the movie? Like, I don't know. That's a great point. That's a great point. So there's Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Suede. Now, that's the first song that comes to my mind when I think of Guardians of the Galaxy 1. There's not many songs. There's a couple. I want to say that there's like three or four songs off that soundtrack that are legit. The rest are like, (sighs) nah. And that's how volume two is, too. There's very few like actual soundtracks like I'll download. Usually I just like it's like one song or two. Like I pick and choose. Guardians of the Galaxy was one of the few like albums. I was like, yep. I'll let you have all of them. But usually I would like after like the sixth song, be like, all right, we're going to go back to the beginning and play again because I don't like any of the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And as I look here, there were a lot of songs that I just forgot were in the movie. Like I know the song, but there's just no connection. So um, that's interesting. In volume two, which I just Googled even less. So that's all I have as far as points for this segment. So I'll leave it open. If anyone else has some more points you'd like to go through or. No, I could sit here and talk about, you know, songs and which shows they relate to and what movies. Cause I mean, like it's the same thing as like, I hear the Harry Potter theme song and you're like, Oh, Harry Potter. It's just one of those kind of things where I think that's what makes a movie or a television show great when they have a great movie and plot and story and characters and then you have a killer soundtrack to back it up that just reinforces that into your brain. And that emotional connection. Yes. I think that's the thing the three of us agree on the most. You know, I even think of playing Nintendo 64 at my old, old house in my brother's bedroom when we were kids. My brother had like this old cheap plastic CD player and he would play he would play his Savage Garden CD, but only like when he had a friend over and we were playing in 64 together and his friends, you know, I enjoyed hanging out with most of them too. So those are all good memories, you know, hanging out with, you know, I'm friends with my brother too. And us just having some fun with video games and having Savage Garden play, but only on those times where we were video gaming and a friend was over for the night. So now when I hear Savage Garden, it's all good memories. It even sometimes takes me, a second to remember like, Oh, why am I feeling so good? Oh, cause Savage Garden is on. Yeah. Emotional connections. Leland, any last words? No, I think uh, that was a great note to end it on. Perfect. Well, we'll move into the second segment, the video game variety show. This one I have titled entertainment alchemy. 
So we have discussed video game to movie adaptations uh, before on the podcast. We covered this last in July of 2020, so it wasn't that long ago. But at that time, other than being three years ago, almost, um, we only actually covered video game to movie adaptations. And this Shannon suggested this segment, by the way, but I felt like, okay, well, we've sort of done that before, but we've never done the reverse spin at the same time. So we'll discuss both, whatever everybody wants to to discuss. Um, but one of the points, you know, before we get into the negative stuff, because I do have a question on that, I, I guess I'll we'll start with you, Shannon. What are some of your favorite either m- movie to video games or video games to movies? Whatever was adapted to whatever. What are what are some of your favorites? So I can't. Okay, so I there's like I'm not. You've opened a can of worms with me. Um, Because I was really excited about this because there's a lot of video games that I liked as movies because I watched them as my brother. And the the first thing that I have to open with was I was watching the trailer for the new Super Mario movie. And my husband wasn't watching. He was actually washing the dishes. And the trailer comes on. And I have it obviously on loud and without my headphones. And all you hear is the keys. It goes, dun, 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 dun. And my husband goes, Super Mario. And I'm like, really? It just took you those keys to figure out it was Super Mario. And he goes, if the new trailer, did it drop? Um, I think that's the most thing I'm excited about. And that's what kind of sparred this along with The Last of Us being, you know, premiering. But some of my favorites have to be like, I was a big fan of Pokemon when it came out on movies, Um, even though it wasn't really technically a video game. It was a card game. But Pokemon was a big deal when I was growing up. And the number one like video game that my brothers played because they couldn't watch the movie was golden eye 007 on the on the n64 we couldn't watch james bond but we could play the game which made no sense to me now (laughs) as a parent like zero fucking sense um but my mom because my cousins were allowed to play that game so it was a game that we could all play without all of us arguing and stuff like that at family events so I mean, like there's been Spider-Man, like look at how the Spider-Man series went from a movie to the video game series that's on the PlayStation. I I watch in awe when my husband does the whole swinging through, like the graphics are amazing. Everything's awesome. But that came from a movie um, and a comic book. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot like things like Angry Birds, though, the movie really fucking pisses me off. Why we needed a movie for that is beyond me. Like Sonic the Hedgehog, we really didn't need either. Say it, Leland, an <laughs> Angry Birds movie was unnecessary. That's right. That's right, <laughs> listener. Unnecessary. And that's what I feel like. Okay, so here's the statement I thought of, is that it's not necessarily the adaptations that we have are unnecessary but they've been made in a way that treats the material like it's unnecessary like it's a get something filmed michael bay style get it out the door quick cuts don't care too much about the editing or whatnot and just make you know 90 million dollars out of it in the theater on like a 30 million dollar budget and the studio's happy and the actors are happy and everyone's happy except the fans because you look at some of these movies you know, I mean, well, you brought up Mario Brothers, but I, I don't want to dare bring up the early 90s Mario Brothers because it's horrible. It, that one I have seen. It, it It is horrible. But it's it. 
I kind of put it in the same like leagues like Sonic the Hedgehog, Angry Birds. Like those were all like completely unnecessary. We really didn't need them. But then there's ones where like I'm watching the Super Mario, the new Super Mario trailer, and I'm like looking at him going, I'm actually legit kind of excited about this. Like it could go either way, but the cast is really good. The trailer I've seen has all the characters that I've loved and I've grown up with since a kid. So now you're not only hitting the the gamer in me, but you're hitting the nostalgia button right on me. Like I want to give this to my daughter um, and show her this too, which I assume it's going to be an age appropriate movie for her to, to, to watch. So it's like, that is a win-win for me where there's some of them like Sonic the Hedgehog and Detective Pikachu. I wouldn't show that crap to my daughter if my life depended on it. Like she's going to have to find that on her own. <laughs> oh man. Those, uh, those two movies are actually on my list that you hate. Detective okay. Pikachu and, and uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Mind you, <laughs> true, true story, not a joke. A lot of my list was proposed by my new best friend who's replaced Lee Lynch, ChatGPT. <laughs> ChatGPT suggested to me several video game to movie adaptations that I may wish to consider due to their apparent popularity. ChatGPT just said it thought that they have cultural significance i'm like what data formed your opinion and it's like these are deemed culturally significant i'm like who's deeming it you skynet or people that's what i want to know <laughs> and then i just insulted chat gpt until it locked down so that's how it <laughs> until it launched the nukes <laughs> that's like when you when the first fantastic four reboot came out like and the trailers came out like that's how Game of Nerds went viral is we were one of the first on YouTube. One of my writers like just went off like he was like, he was pissed. They were mad. Every outlet was saying it was going to be the greatest thing since like sliced bread. And he's like on YouTube going, I don't know what you guys are on, but you're wrong. <laughs> like you're wrong. Yeah, that's how I like that's how I feel. Yeah, that movie it. had a good cast, too. I mean, that's that's a great example of a movie like I wanted to bring up like why do they get these wrong? Now, maybe that's a good starting point because I've never seen the Fantastic Four, but obviously you have Shannon Leland. You've seen it. I should have seen it because like when Jessica Alba was in her 20s, like she was the babe that I wanted to see in everything, but somehow I didn't see that movie. Why did Fantastic Four go wrong? They, this was at the beginning of, you have to also know, so there's a lot behind the scenes that people, that was owned by Fox. Because Fantastic Four is not owned by Marvel. It's owned by Fox. So you have a whole licensing issue all on its own. And you're also fighting against Sony and Marvel, who was both all launching all at the same time. So you're trying to have competing movies uh, in the same freaking franchise, basically. And so there's just the, there was a lot going on alone just in that. I think it was a lot of timing, to be honest, um, with that franchise. But I mean, you didn't need to reboot it. Not everything has to be rebooted. No, that's 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 fair enough. Yeah, because, you know, one thing that I've thought of is when movies stray far from the, say this is a video game to movie adaptation, when the movie strays far from the original property, I think that's one key area where you start to have problems. Again, like the first Super Mario movie looks nothing like Super Mario ever, yet the new Super Mario movie looks exactly like Super Mario, the art. So that's a big one. And I mean, I know you didn't like Sonic, but there was that whole thing where his teeth weren't seen as like Sonic the Hedgehog teeth. So, I mean, to the credit of, I think it was Sony, they went back and they fixed it at a huge cost. 
and the fans did actually make the movie a hit. But they had to do it. I this is you asked a question earlier. Why do you think these executives are doing it? Well, the reality is is that they want to make money. They realize the video game is making money, just like any other franchise. All right, how can we make offshoots of this and make more money? So they make a movie and they do it half-ass on a low-ass budget or, you know, try to do it and the person doing it isn't passionate about it, doesn't know what the hell they're doing or anything about the subject matter. And you kind of have to go, all right, well, why, why, why couldn't you just put people who are passionate and love this to make the right product that fans were going to love? My brother brought up a great point and he goes, you have to also realize that a lot of gamers aren't movie people. Gaming means you're in control. You get to move, you get to make the choice, you get to, you have all the, whereas in a movie, you have to relinquish that control. Yeah, that's a very good point. You made another very good point as well that I hadn't thought of, which was the director who's obviously show running the actual production. Now, what's hard is these video games are still somewhat obscure IPs in the way that if you really want to dive into the story and the nitty gritty of the property, you kind of have to be a fan. Well, how many fans of some of these franchises get to the point where they're a Hollywood director that can be trusted with like a $200 million budget. Well, not many. So you get directors like Michael Bay, where he does one Transformer movie that's half decent. Now he calls himself the biggest Transformer fan in the world, which he did, and the most knowledgeable, which he did. And then he releases a bunch of other movies that are substandard based on that property. But like, it would, I think it would be very difficult to find a director in Hollywood who's like, oh, Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, I just bleed Sonic the Hedgehog all the time. Well, what my writers are finding is that the TV shows that have gone from a video game to TV show or their adaptations of it, like we've saw that with uh, League of Legends and Apex and stuff like that, they're 10 times better than the movies. Why? Because it's a smaller budget and they get people who are more passionate about uh -huh. what they are. Look at HBO and The Last of Us. Even if you haven't watched it, you will see all online how the directors put in the little nuances from the video game where it's like they didn't have to do that. And in a lot of movies, they don't put on those nuances. But the director took the time to put in these little things like the shirt Joel was wearing and that's his emergency shirt or little, you know, oh, the flower, this or that. It it just kind of gives you respect like, OK, somebody trusted you with their baby and our franchise that a lot of fans love and adore and you actually took your time and cared about it. It's kind of how people felt about J.J. Abrams picking up Star Wars. Like, are you sure about this? Like, are you sure you're going to pick up this baby and you're going to take good care of it? Like, y'all, you have to prove to us that you know what the hell you're doing before they're going to accept it. And, you know, I could have told you that that show, Last of Us, was going to be awesome. Maybe not a hit, but awesome a mile away. Because the team of producers and director behind it made Chernobyl, which is my favorite TV yep. show of all time and the highest rated show ever on IMDb. And I know because they released a podcast along with Chernobyl, a six episode, pod, five episode podcast, how crazy they were to attention of detail. Like not just having the Soviet Union license plates be proper, but having the proper numbers that would be issued in 1986. And so if they were doing that level of detail for Chernobyl, then I could have told you like Last of Us, it's going to have like really good details to it. 
And it sounds like it did. So kudos to those guys. Leland, are you excited about the Dungeons and Dragons moving coming out? Great question. I'm I'm tentative, tentatively uh, excited about it. Yeah, I mean, it looks like like the cast is great. Uh, it, so the trailers look cool. It could be it could be really. I mean, I like Chris Pine, so we'll see. I guess. When when does that release? Do either of you know? March sometime. I yes, believe. March. Yeah, March, and I want to say late end of March. I want to say the last weekend of March. Because Leland, that's a slam dunk. See it in theaters. Podcast right after bonus. Oh, episode. I agree. Yeah, we should. We should certainly. Yeah, we should definitely do a bonus episode on it. Uh, it's interesting listening to the, to, to the two of you talk. Though it seems like The Last of Us is, as an example, is kind of antithetical to the point that you two are trying to make because, like, it's it's a it's a project that has the money to put into the attention to detail. It's an HBO Max. Yeah. Of course. So the point and but and the in the point you're making is it and obviously I'm I'm fumbling now of what I'm trying to make my point, but I don't think and I don't think the two of you are saying this, but I don't believe that a project having access to a larger budget uh reduces or overshad like the budget doesn't overshadow the creator's passion for the for the project. I just think when you have a thing like Last of Us, when you just you get both and you have both of it, then like Moby, you're saying like, how can it? It's like too big to fail almost, right? Uh, especially when a lot of the scenes out of this TV series are just they're literally just recreating live action scenes from the video game. So they already like they have it. Uh, they have the foundation. There's very little that they actually have to do, in my opinion. Again, I haven't seen the show. Uh, I will be watching it. I don't have uh, HBO, but I'll watch it. I'm watching, gonna watch it with my girlfriend. It's actually funny. I'll be there. Uh, I leave the day before the finale will come out, <laughs> so I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to fucking get a month of it just so I can watch the finale. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, I'm excited to watch it. I'm not that big of a fan of the the video game, quite frankly. I think the first video game. Uh, I mean, obviously now it is ridiculously dated. If you were to go back and play it, the combat is weak. The stealth is garbage. Uh, the crafting is haphazard. The only thing that stands on, you know, stands up to, to the test of time is potentially the story and the plot, uh, which we are obviously seeing with the popularity of the of the TV series. I think um, I think you're both on the right track with with the, with the passion, but I also think like we don't really see this all that much uh, like that we have in the last 30 or 40 years, like black back with like NES and SNES era, like in the eighties and shit, you would just get any, any like popular movie that came out would get a video game adaptation. And I think at the time it was just, it was it's compared to now it was far easier to produce cheaply. Those a video game based on like predator uh, or or like a Star Wars or an, or Alien, and there's less of a threshold for a great product. I think there's this the scaling we use now with the technology that we have and the amount of money, like the hundreds of million, like the movie budget level production of video game AAA titles now. There's way more room to shit the bed. Is the problem. Uh, which I mean, like er, in early in the early two thousands, like like Fantastic Four and uh, in the Incredible Hulk, um, Ang Lee's Hulk, Iron Man. As we progress into the MCU, like that stopped happening. I 
one, there's far too many MCU movies for them to be making a video game of every single one, I guess. But like that, that seems like it's died down. And I guess Sonic and, you know, now with Super Mario, which I also believe is completely unnecessary and stupid. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just, you need, you need the passion and the money for it to be a hit. That's it. That's it. Like you, you have to be able to want to spend the money on it. That's just, it's as simple as that to me. Well, Leland, you know, my argument against you on one small point about the unnecessary nature of video game movies, I mean, all of them are going to be unnecessary. Like, it's rare to find a video game that's narrative is so overwhelmingly amazing that it needs to be transferred to a movie and show the masses. It's like what Shannon said. It's it's about money. It is a cash grab. It's just, can they do the cash grab right and if it is unnecessary video game adaptations to movies in general then like why do we have them at all like are you saying we pretty much shouldn't have them or are you saying that like certain video games should be adapted i mean you're you're the one that said that they're all unnecessary you put those words in my mouth i didn't say that uh okay well you said super okay super mario's is unnecessary because it's stupid (laughs) But that is that it? Like, it's a very popular franchise, Lee. I realize that, yeah. I mean, it, it makes, it's, un, to me, it's unnecessary because, like, I'll never watch it. I have zero interest in it. So that's, like, my, per, personally, it is unnecessary. Like, why the fuck would they bother making this film? Because it wasn't made for you. Listen, stop right. and stop and listen to all the movies that we've just listed off. Angry Birds, Sonic the Hedgehog, Detective Pikachu, a tr- uh, you know, uh, uh, any of those that we just talked about, they're all made for kids. They're meant to make our, they're giving an opportunity to parents for their kids to enjoy something that they enjoy too and giving them a chance to sit in movie theaters. Is it necessary? No. But if you're a kid who grew up on gaming on Super Mario Brothers and your kid's not old enough to like actually play Super Mario, like my daughter, this is the best way she's going to get to watch Super Mario and understand Super Mario. Um, I don't think they're meant for our generation. They were never meant for, our, they were made for a younger generation. It's just what they're not understanding is that the parents are the ones who are paying the ticket into the movie theater. So if they don't appease us at the same time, they are not going to make the money that they think they're going to make. It isn't only when we have the passion and the right franchise that we have this magic. Okay. I, uh, I, I, agree with a lot of that i disagree with most of it i think the <laughs> films <laughs> did, did you listen to yourself what you just you said the recent films that we've been listing i completely agree that those films are being made for children super mario Bros. angry birds but they shouldn't be because the point if you look again if you look at like all the shit through the 80s and the 90s um, uh, movies that immediately got video game adaptations. The point of those video games was to get the moviegoers to spend more money on your IP in another way. That's all it is. And and like we said, like your brother, like you said, your brother had mentioned, not all moviegoers are video gamers and vice versa. But it doesn't matter with these adaptations because they want the video gamers to spend money elsewhere through some other avenue. That's all they give a shit about. So that so, so it doesn't matter. Bush. So what? It's no, what the Bush Super Bush Mario Bush. Brothers? What the what fucking Super Mario Brothers and fucking Sonic should be catering to our generation and older, the people that actually played these fucking games and grew up with them. 
That's what they should be catering to. But Leland, they do. They have that level of humor that keeps you. How do you know that? Them. Look, because I, I've I, seen I, a bunch of them. Well, you don't know that about Super Mario. Super Mario's okay. Do you want okay, Shannon? You do are you want so your kid? focused on this one <laughs> film. Yeah, you are obsessed. I will say. I will say I really like Sonic the Hedgehog. I haven't seen the sequel, but I really like Sonic. Just put that out there. It's good. The do you want too. your daughter to associate Mario with Chris Pratt's voice? No, I had a problem. Exactly. With that. Okay, but Point here, but hold on, back up. Back up. <laughs> okay, full stop. When they announced the movie, I used to trash. I used to trash it to no belief because I thought that it would have no, like it had no potential. You're telling me Chris Pratt is going to be my my favorite voice of Mario? Fuck you. Absolutely. But then I saw the first trailer and I was like. All right, I'm going to entertain you. And it wasn't until that second trailer came out and they started expanding on the character lines. And we're not talking like, oh, the characters we've seen in the last 10 years. We're talking on vintage characters that like only I am going to remember that that one from the N64 days or, you know, the NES days. Those those kind of characters where I was like, all right, you got my money. And also, Jack Black is Bowser. So how can you be mad when oh, okay. Jack Black is Bowser? I'm on board for that. Obviously, I'm on my. I'd be a monster if I wasn't. Okay. <laughs> you know, if Mark Mark Hamill, if Mark Hamill were to play Mario, Leland, you would be all over this. <laughs> well, would. okay, may, maybe that's true. People. Okay, sure, maybe that's true. Um, perhaps that's true. And it's not like I hate Chris Pratt. I just like. I don't know. I mean, and I don't think I've seen the second trailer. I think I've only seen the first one. So maybe that's also part of it. Check out the second trailer. Like it wasn't, it's not like it looks bad. It just, it's not my shtick. I don't really care about Mario. I don't really care about any Nintendo property, quite frankly, uh, as has been made clear many times on this show. So obviously this particular movie that I, yes, I keep zeroing on and harking on is not for me and I will not see it and I will not get any of my money for it. You know what, Leland? If it's being no, no, sorry. So if you are seeing and and connecting with like characters pulled from you know the old, that's awesome. That is perfect, and that is what they should be doing. So I'm then I'm glad to hear that that is what they are doing. But do you still believe? I mean, uh, that if they are going to those lengths, that those that these movies then are being solely created, and again, we're <laughs> this specific example is being created for kids. No, it's created for money. I mean, look at what's being popped out right now. You've got Super Mario's on the rise. You've got Universal Studios just opened their their uh, Super Mario Land in multiple locations. You've got a, a restaurant opening in L.A. that's Super Mario themed. I mean, it's it's a ploy, but they're Katie Bushing it. That's that's the or Kate Bushing it. That's what I was trying to explain. They're trying to rehash and restart a franchise that we love that we're, is not making them any more money. They have to they have to reinvent. It's no different than Trolls five years ago. Trolls wasn't a budding IP until the new Trolls movies come out, and all these kids, which is where they were making their money because they they didn't know about Trolls. And they come in here and now parents are buying up every troll accessory that they can stick a, you know, it on the lunchbox on the shirts because parents are going to buy it. Why? Because their kids are begging for it. Okay. I mean, yeah, obviously we can say that any of these productions are made for money. Like this is a very obvious statement, quite frankly. Okay. But (laughs) I don't think they're revamping anything. I don't think they're, they're like, they're just doing what they're just diversifying is what they're doing. I don't think they're, this this movie isn't gonna like reboot or reshape 
these characters, is it? Like, is that the point of it? Like, are they trying to launch some new, like the the Mario? Okay, you know, there's like three things that Nintendo can constantly sell: Mario and Zelda yeah, being, you know, two exactly. of the right. So, so Pikmin, I don't feel like they're Fatal Frame. But that's uh, why they diversified with the theme sure. parks. They have to make more money. And so which way, how can they get more? Ke- you keep, I know, but you're talking and you, it sounds to me like you're, t- you're talking as if it's a dead IP. It's not like it's dead. I'm just, it still makes the money. Like they sell, their video games sell millions of copies. Like, But they're not producing, like we just had the big Xbox drop and the big, what all these places, they're not, they don't have the cash fund as big as these other big you know, they're competing against they're not it's competing. like telling the game of nerds is gonna go up against entertainment weekly. It's not gonna happen. I will accept that. So how is Nintendo gonna make more money? But they haven't been competing in 30 years. Xbox and PlayStation also have esports. So they're making a shit ton of money already off esports. Nintendo doesn't have that whole component to but it. I, I know, I know, but they never did. This is what I'm saying. They never did. So how are they going to make money? They diversified into the parks and making a goddamn okay, movie but that again, nobody you're wants. Saying, you're, <laughs> you're saying you you are talking as if they've lost this revenue stream and now the movie in the parks is going to bring that revenue stream back. They're just piling on to their current revenue stream. That's You know what? I see good points on both of your ends. It was like, honestly, it was like, good point, good point, good point. Um, Leland, you know, in particular, I've said off air that I actually agree with you that Nintendo doesn't compete with Microsoft or Sony. They're so different nowadays in both their hardware and the markets that they pursue. Well, Microsoft is actually quite buddy, buddy with Nintendo. So that really only leaves Sony and Sony just, they just don't compete anymore. They just don't really run into each other where I agree with Shannon and want to back her up. Leland, you said, well, Leland, your argument is essentially that Nintendo's always just been video games and pretty much been their own IPs that still make money. So what needs to change? Well, what I'm telling you well, is... Well, I, I didn't say that change is unnecessary for them. It makes complete sense that they like they have okay. to do it. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that the well isn't dry. And this isn't going to refill it. That's the point I'm making. The, the well isn't dry, but the problem is with technology nowadays it's taking nintendo longer and longer to release their games so they're making less and less money we haven't had a zelda we haven't had a breath of wild since 2016 you guys haven't had a mario game in forever we haven't had a mario Mario game since sunshine that was like launch of the snow you just had the fucking mario with the t-rex and the hat yeah that's that's the one that we're talking about that's not sunshine is it uh sorry not sunshine that's mario uh what is it world or whatever mario world Odyssey, Odyssey, but that's still a long time ago, Leland. That's still a long time ago. I see. I see both points, and they're trying. I think at the end of the day, they're just trying to change. I guess get more. How am I trying to word this? I think in every business, they're constantly trying to figure out. Okay, how do I keep getting new fans? Because they know eventually some people are going to die off, right? Some fans are going to die off. (laughs) So they're constantly trying to like figure out, okay, well, how am I going to get the next generation? And we're at this cusp, especially like we've watched Xbox and and PlayStation change. It was once we were all sitting at home and we could play each other at home. And now we have these huge esport tournaments and people are betting and winning millions and millions of dollars. And gaming is now a sport, which still blows my mind. Okay. But Nintendo has always been that home family, like 
goody goody and and Moby's right. They haven't been pumping out as many. So I think it's just where their focus has gone. The other the other gaming systems have now heavily relied on esports where Nintendo's like, all right, well, where can I diversify? Because our generation isn't getting to play as many video games as we did before. And how can we bring in the new generation to play Super Mario? Because they know we're on TikTok and everything else. So they're just trying to be cool, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Shannon, how we look at it, because like marketing is my background, and it's been like five episodes since I've said that on air, Leland. So I'm clear again to mention that I do marketing. <laughs> but um, we have this term called wallet. And it's basically you imagine your potential customer, let's keep it simple, has $100 in their wallet. And they spend $60 on food, housing, et cetera, and say they have $40 left over. And maybe they're spending $20 of that on your video games consistently. That's that's fantastic. But you can't, as a business, be happy with that. You want to know where is that other $20 of disposable income going and how can I get more of that from someone? And that is movies. That is product tie-ins. That is advertising. That is all these other ways are like paid streaming services stuff. However you can get what's left in the wallet is your goal. And I see movies as an extension of that. I agree with Shannon that the movie will bring in more Mario players. But as I've also argued, we haven't had a mainstream Mario since Odyssey several years ago. So what are the kids going to play? How many years ago? Less than a decade ago. What is that? Is Really, Leland, is that the bar a decade? It was a pre-pandemic because now I'm remembering because they let out like, I want to say they let out like a handful because we got Smash Brothers. We got some individual one. And then like Mario Party, a new edition of Mario Party wasn't high on like, like close beyond that. 2017. Okay, so that oh, sounds okay. about right. 2017, that's six fucking years. So, so long. Bro, a lot has bro, changed. Okay. Hold the fuck on. Okay, you're telling me that you're bitching and whining about we're not having a fucking Mario game in six years? Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Okay, when it comes from a system like Nintendo that, again, only has these few fucking things that they do, I can I can maybe see that. I think you are. Okay. I think your expectations Rich. are completely fucking hyperbolic. Here. But I think that's that's the point he's trying to make because they haven't put out anything in six years. What's keeping Mario fresh in people's brain? Leland, Super Mario Brothers, nineteen eighty five. Super Mario Brothers two, nineteen eighty six. Super Mario Brothers three, nineteen eighty nine. See the change? These tentpole. Triple A releases. The change yeah. goes back to what I said about twenty minutes ago about being able to develop video games faster and more cheaply in that era that also has factors into it back in those days when we're talking like nes it was five fucking levels and the game was done you know that's still part of, the, that's still part of my argument yeah exactly no 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 that's what i'm trying to say we're we're arguing different things like in a circle here i'm going well like the economics can you if you have all I'm arguing can, the can economics. you keep going through keep going through the those dates i want to hear i want to i want to hear the progression do you have them in front of you still i want to hear them well, I know that I know off by heart that Super Mario World, which is the next, is 1991. So that so you go 85, 86, 89, 91. Then you have Super, you've got Mario 64 in 1995. So after Super Mario 64, 95, okay, then it is a long jump. It's like five years until you get uh, Mario Sunshine, which is GameCube. 
And but then it's 2007. So which actually is yeah, that's about the same until you get Super Mario Galaxy. And you're not counting Luigi's Haunted Mansion up in there. Like no, we're not I'm counting not off counting it, like Donkey Kong. We're there was a few, mainstream. you know what I'm trying to say? There was a few main, and that's where I'm saying it isn't like they haven't been stagnant, like completely stagnant. I'm not denying that it's not, it's like a dead IPO. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that they haven't come up with these games to where the characters are relevant. Relevant. Yeah. Relevant. relevant. Yeah. Thank no you. I, it's late. I obviously don't need any more coffee for today, um, but they need to keep it fresh in our brains so that we're continuing to buy and with kids once they've attached to a create like a character and they're like oh i love it they're gonna suck the their parents dry for whatever the stuffy rooming anything you know so i think that's where their brain is at is if we can hook these kids and their parents approve because they know oh mario he's harmless it isn't like you know anything else you know like oh i'm not sure about paw patrol you know <laughs> like i'm not sure about those paw patrol guys <laughs> But I know Super Mario, he's cool. You know, I, I think that's where they're thinking and banking on, to be honest. Sure. Okay. I, I And all that I completely get. I completely agree with it. And whenever you're going to look at uh, a monetary value point of view, you're right, Moby. None of them are actually unnecessary or the opposite of what you were thinking that I was saying. Like to a, a studio, like they're not unnecessary because they're a form of revenue generation. Obviously, that's necessary for them to to continue and grow it just i don't even know what we were trying to argue in the first place now but six years is not a long development okay i'm just saying well you're right it's not a it's not a long development for a well done modern game my point being which also feeds into your point about yeah games were simpler to program but nintendo still had building fees they still had employees that needed to be paid monthly they have all these expenses each year but now they have tentpole video game releases that have stretched from a couple years we'll call it to on average six or seven years they still need revenue they need constant cash flow for their company so you're you're completely right to make a bang up game they need six or seven years but they also need revenue between those six or seven years yeah and all their franchises are stretching out. Of course they are. Of course they are. Again, that we're, it's just, it takes time to make them. And yes, it takes money to make them too. You're right. But you're also talking as if Nintendo is strictly Mario. They have plenty of other IPs that they first party work on and release and generate revenue from and can continue to operate a business from the revenue generated from them. I would disagree with that. Well, okay. What, then what right now is Nintendo releasing that, to generate revenue. What are they doing in the video game market right now that is generating them income to work on their tentpole IPs? They are releasing tentpole IPs at a ballpark, I would say one third rate of what they used to. If you want to be a bit more conservative, we'll call it a half. So you're right about all those tentpole IPs and they can still make them and they're good. But guess what? They were making Donkey Kong in the 80s. They were making, I mean, whatever you want to name Zelda. Like Zelda 1 was 86, Zelda 2 was 88. You know, we could go down all their IPs. You know, if you've got a bucket of IPs, when you stretch out their development time, you have to fill that with revenue. And other media is necessary. And I'm asking you, what are they currently doing to fill in that revenue in the video game market? Oh, honestly, it seems like shovelware for Nintendo. I mean, if you go on the Switch store, like if you want my honest answer, they're filling it with like a bunch of independent games. Yeah. That are like six dollars. OK, so they they have 
streams of revenue still. Right, but my point is it's they're not maintaining the relative wealth that they had in the 80s and 90s, and they're trying. That's their job as a corporation. Sure, Sony, and to a lesser degree, Xbox stole a lot of market share in the early 2000s. Well, Nintendo's a publicly traded company. They have to try to get back up. They have no other choice. That's what companies do. Yeah, okay. And, and But then, so now them going into these other uh, revenue streams, I can guarantee you is not going to increase their production time of their temple IPs. You are not going to be seeing a Mario game every two years because of a movie and a fucking theme park. No, it's just going to continue the IP. Sure, That's okay. the difference. If it prevents them from failing. But is anybody saying and purporting that Nintendo was on the brink of bankruptcy because yes. they, need, they don't have a fucking movie? Are they literally no. about to shut their doors? No, but they, they were like really, really hurting. You said bankruptcy. They weren't close to bankruptcy. No, that's why they sold to Universal Studios for the video for the theme parks. They were they needed cash money, so they sold the rights to those theme parks so theme parks could be built. That is their number one cash flow in because you have who is buying a fucking Wii right now? Like let's be honest between the three of us. Who is fucking buying a Wii? Parents and families, and very few are buying video games because a lot of people are anti-screens right now as in the parenting world, okay? Anti-screens, no video games, no nothing, okay? So the reality is, is they probably aren't, okay? So their next best thing is parents travel and kids want to go somewhere fun. Universal Studios, they've got Hogwarts, Harry Potter, and now they've got Super Mario. It's kind of beating out Disneyland when Disneyland prices keep getting jacked up. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also a lot of that is from, again, unlike Sony and Microsoft, like Nintendo, we're, we we are able to look back at Nintendo's flagpoles for the last 40 years. You can't do that with those other consoles. So this is a result of what they've been doing to themselves for 40 years as well, right? They're, they're, they're focused on their first party stuff. And now in the long term, it's not enough for them. And they're, they're finally seeing it. And that's why Nintendo sucks. That's why I've been right all along. But do you see it any different if you flipped it the other way? How do you feel about like The Last of Us being turned into a show so that that IP can continue? I don't see it. Well, I don't care about The Last of Us. So (laughs) that's all right. So so I'm already like I'm already tainted negatively. Right. Because I don't give a fuck about Nintendo, Mario or like. So that is also where I'm coming from when I. (laughs) Start yeah. going off. No, I, I understand that. Cause like, I feel like League of Legends, when they started making the Netflix Apex, I felt like that was their cop into trying to get people into the gaming world. Like, oh, you don't know about, like, you should be playing this, which is then its own like hybrid hole. Because as we know, League of Legends is now like an expanding esports, like Dama Matrix in it all in its yeah. own. Yeah. That seems like a strange connect though, because like the, the game and the series, like, they're just, there's not there. There's like nothing. They're so different. Like right. Like when you play a game in League of Legends, it doesn't play. It doesn't feel like you're playing in the series. So that seems like a really weird connect. But I mean, yeah, I, mean, I understand the. I understand the tactic of it. Like it makes sense, right? I'm not arguing that they need to do it. And I just Leland, I I just googled this. I just googled this because I know the Wii U era was tough for Nintendo. In 2012, Nintendo ran a $283 million deficit for their video game business. Minus $283 million for the year. The next year, 2013, they did $6 million, which is essentially break even. Where are you going to spread that money? So they have to diversify outside of video games. So 
well, you're calling movies unnecessary. If movies are unnecessary, okay. If Super Mario, their prime IP, is unnecessary as a movie, then what do they do that is necessary? I've already I've already conceded the point that creating another revenue stream for a business is necessary. And that is 30 millimeter film with a Mario on it. That's what's necessary. I like how you brought up those numbers, though, because it right it works with the timeline because as soon as they started having a deficit that's when the the store opened and indie games could start being put on and if you go on TGN most of our gaming coverage is those indie games and they're found predominantly either on Steam or they're found on the Wii and they're through the stores so they are making a lot of their gross revenue not on like someone buying Mario Party uh, not on somebody buying Donkey Kong they're making it on the residuals of those indie companies uploading it to Nintendo and then being able to download them at a, you know, I, I mean, let's be honest, most of those pricing is very affordable between 99 cents to, a, you know, to, you know, 699 or what 999 even, you know, so I think that's. They've learned to diversify, and I think once they opened up that gaming and realized there was a limitation to how much gaming we can do, because as you know, it's hard to make a video game. Not everyone's going to be able to make a quality video game to make it to Nintendo standards, because Nintendo has the same kind of standards that Apple has for their app store. It's got to be an actual game that actually works, because otherwise they have to deal with the customers who are pissed off with a game, right? So I think... They they learned quickly that they weren't going to make a lot of money, and that's when the decision for okay, let's license out the the theme parks, let's do a movie because we know that a movie doesn't just pop onto a table. We're talking years of discussion and negotiation. Uh, a script has to be made, things have to be done before somebody signs off and goes, "I'm going to give you billions of dollars to make Super Mario Brothers." So to then both of you that uh, are anticipating this film. In your eyes, we'll start with Shannon, what would make that film successful then? What criteria are you going to hold it to? Just staying to the nostalgic, you know, Super Mario storyline. And not even storyline, but just the the mannerism and nostalgia that we love. Already touching on the characters and keeping them true to their characters is going to do them a lot better because it's expanding these characters. We already know Princess Peach is a fearless badass, you know, but yes, she can be distracted. They're playing both sides and we're getting depth now to these characters. So I think it's kind of opening a door for them to kind of almost like fan fiction, you know, yeah. like, to, mm. you know what I'm trying to say? Okay. It's the fan yeah, fiction we've always wanted for a video game. You're not ever going to get that. What happened to Mario and Peach after they beat Bowser? Now we finally know. Well, so you so you 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 hearken it to fan fiction. Does that mean that the depth of these characters doesn't entirely exist within the franchise because of the nature of the franchise, or like it's there because the franchise is so long running? It's there. I think the franchise has built it up. Like it took us a while to go from Princess Peach being a you know damsel into distress into like the Mario Party and Super Smash Brother, like I can kick anybody's ass kind of status. I think they have, we have grown with these characters over the years in our lifetimes. This is just giving them the 3D dimension. They've been 2D to us for so long. Now they're finally becoming 3D. And when I say fan fiction, I'm just like saying, well, it's out of the run, 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 
you know, hit the box, hit the box, you know, we're finally getting some depth to these characters and finding out more than just a couple sentences when we talk to the boss, you know, there's depth to them. Even if they brought in something new, I would accept it because I think that's, it's like the last of us, as long as you're bringing in the nuances and the nostalgia that we love, we're open to the new stuff. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I, yeah. That makes sense. Moby. What, what, what do you, what are your criteria for this? I mean, you know me when it comes to stuff like this, my bar is actually pretty low. I obviously don't have kids that I'm going to see the movie with. I, I, I mean, I have a nephew and niece that are of the perfect age to see it, but I don't really take them to movies. Um, I'll see it. And I just want to be entertained for about an hour and a half. I want to not have to think too hard. And much like Shannon, I want a lot of Easter eggs from like the Mario's of the, you know, Nintendo 64 era. Super Nintendo, NES, even the Wii, you know, Mario Galaxy would be great. Like, I would love if the movie ends and, you know, there's a big nod, like uh, someone delivers him the flood water pack from Sunshine and said, hey, Mario, there's an island that needs our help. You know, I hear it's covered in paint or some stupid shit like that. I'd be like, Mario Sunshine, Uh, you know, you got to sprinkle that thing with Easter eggs the whole way through. And I think that's the best way to make the movie because, frankly, the young kids don't care about the plot. They're not going to be like, this doesn't match up with 1986 Mario 2. They never played it. They've never seen anything from it. So make the plot simple, but make it for the parents and fill it with Easter eggs. So Easter eggs like Shannon and honestly, just an hour and a half of my life where I'm just pleasantly pleased and forget about the world and I'll be happy. Yeah, I feel like I'm taking a JJ Star Wars approach to this. Okay, I I, I I'm excited about it, but until I see it, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm excited to share it with a younger generation, if that makes any sense. No, I, I completely. I mean, literally, all of those feelings is like how I feel about the Dungeons and Dragons movie because oh, okay. like that movie's unnecessary. Yeah, like right, like I don't need, I don't. I don't necessarily need to see on screen uh, or be told how to interpret that game, you know, and and really you could boil it down to fantasy, generic fantasy. But now because of my experience with the game and what I've created in the game, that's what I associate with that game. Uh, Much like now, you know, with, with, you know, how Peach has, has become far more than a damsel in distress. There's going to be aspects of that of, of D and D for me that I just have a, a specific perception of. And then when I see, I don't know how I'm going to feel when I see it on screen and obviously for making money. I mean, we just had a bonus episode talking about how, uh, how, how aggressively wizards of the coast wants to monetize Dungeons and Dragons in general, moving, going into, again, it's the same, same thing Nintendo's doing, finding another Avenue of revenue, another stream to, to make the same audience, uh, potentially grow it obviously you hope that it grows but this really the same core audience spending money elsewhere that's still generating right another that extra that last twenty dollars in the wallet so i completely i completely understand uh, everything that you guys uh, are saying about it I, i'm just undoubtedly the movie is going to be financially successful there's no way that it won't be right like it, yeah. it cannot be so yeah. mario 2 in what 2025 2026 yeah I would assume, well, it just depends what that's, it's not universal. It's who, I can't remember who's hosting or who's doing that one. I want to say it's universal. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I mean, I agree with Leland. It's going to make a lot of money. I also agree that it's going to have a 
quick turnaround to a sequel there. But I mean, I do think like everybody's knocking on Chris Pratt. I mean, I would love to see the the Mario voice from the 90s, Charles Martinet there. But it's not like Nintendo's done wrong by him. They still use him for all the video games. And he's in the movie. I've tried to figure out who he is in the movie. He's not Mario. So I don't know. But he is in the movie. I mean, I guess they wanted a big name to headline it. But like, I'm excited for Jack Black. I'm excited for, is it Keegan-Michael Key who plays Toad? He has yes. lots of energy. Yep, I yep, like yep. him. And Anna Taylor-Joy won me over in the menu. And she's Peach. So like, I'm dialed in. For most of the cast. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it makes sense that they would actually get like a well-known actor one because they need they want this, they need well, clearly they need this movie to make money. And Mario will actually have like dialogue <laughs> instead of catchphrases, right? You that's I mean? how I feel about the Dungeon and Dragons movie. Okay, because Zachary Levi is in it. All right, I can, I can, I can withstand Shazam for a couple hours, and I. It also <laughs> like gives me an idea into that world. You know what I'm trying to say? Like you guys know as well as I, TGO uncovers freaking everything under the moon, and there's a lot of things that our our writers cover that I don't have any experience with, and that's why we have them on as writers because they're experts at what they do. Dungeons and Dragons always has been that thing that interests me. I don't have the time, and I just I, I probably have too much adhd like to be able to like sit there and be able to like handle something like that but it excites me to be able to watch a movie about it to more understand it and appreciate it more if does that make sense yeah it does make sense but it's just funny you like you wanting it to be that for you and it won't be because it can't be (laughs) the i mean maybe it's different and you know what maybe you could say the same thing about mario like if i was going and i watched mario and like I want to understand people's connections to these characters. From what you're saying, it seems like maybe I will, right? Uh, again, because based on the franchise and how developed they've, they've become just because of so many entries. Um, it's just like a, a movie like Dungeons and Dragons. It's, it doesn't, it won't, like, it won't show you what the game is like. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> you're just going to be watching a fantasy movie. Like, it can't possibly. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to split a small hair here. Maybe okay. not a head hair, like a hair from your arm small. Because maybe you disagree with me, but I think the widely considered best video game to movie adaptation of all time, 1995 Mortal Kombat, I think that does feel like the game. I think that is a perfect and necessary introduction to people to that series because it has the feel of the game. The characters, I think they've nailed almost all of them. I saw that movie again recently because I saw the uh, 2020 or 2021 Mortal Kombat, which was okay. Uh, their Kano was fucking awesome, but so was the original Kano. Yeah. But, but the 1995 Mortal Kombat did give me that exact feel. Like it's one in a million, but there's a chance that Mario could do that. Yeah. And, and Moby, I, I agree with you that everything you said about the original, like nineties Mortal Kombat completely agree. And I agree that like it can happen. I just mean specifically for Dungeons and Dragons, the movie will not show you what, playing the game is like right like just because of the nature of the game is what i'm what i mean like it just it can't it won't be able to i I don't i i don't know how you could you you would essentially have to have normal characters suddenly do some sort of skill check somehow (laughs) no i'm not even i'm not joking i'm not joking that's a big part of the game and i don't know how you could make that happen the other problem with dungeons and dragons is the lore is so deep you know the the just the the characters, the enemies, the locales, the creatures. 
yet. And I get why, but studios kind of have to make the movie accessible so that someone who just found the trailer will go and not have a terrible time because they don't know the nuances of mods and D&D and whatever, right? So what the problem I think for D&D movie is you, you could make a fantastic casual D&D movie, fantastic, but it'll be too simple for people like me and Leland to ever enjoy because it's the kiddie pool and we've already been to the depths of D&D. Well, I look at it as all we are seeing, all they're doing with the 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 D movie is we are seeing somebody's party going on an adventure. That's, that's all we're watching. We're watching a party of adventures adventure, right? Do what they're supposed to. Like we're not, it's as if you were, think of you sitting in on somebody's game session. That's what I'm viewing this, this movie as. It's not going to show you how to play. It's not going to teach you anything about the game. It, it, you won't retain anything about the lore. I assume in the in the game, I assume in the movie that we're, there's going to be lots. There's already in trailers nods to the owl bear. Uh, we'll probably see lots of creatures that people familiar with editions of Dungeons and Dragons will probably recognize, and fans of the game will will again similar like with the thing like the Mario movie, right? We'll get all the same shit, and the 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 criteria and like the the to do list of these movies exists and it has existed and will continue to exist. So as long as they tick most of those boxes, like they should make money and should hopefully be liked by a lot of people. Right. Hello, listener. This is Leland from our satellite office, all the way in the Netherlands, uh, in the editing room here, we had a bit of a recording snafu with the last about 10 ish or so minutes of our conversation with Shannon, which did include kind of our outro plugs. Uh, so I'm going to do them right now on her behalf. You can find the Game of Nerds, thegameofnerds.com, the Game of Nerds on all the social medias. Their website has all the links, of course. Uh, you can find her personal Instagram, VI Parolas, if you want to see some Funko activities and uh, all, all, all the stuff that she gets up to with her family. And I guess the only thing left is our end of show stuff. So I'll kick it right back to our actual recording and we'll wrap it up there. Our website's ttpopcast.com, the TT Podcast on Facebook, TT Podcast on Instagram. I'm Leland underscore Steel on Twitter, and that is who I've been. Well, <laughs> sounds like he's delivering a quick newscast at like 1 a.m. <laughs> That's pretty good. So all, all you all you parents out there, if you need a a, a newscast or soundbite for the sex scenes, you can use that. I give you permission to use it. <laughs> uh, well, I've been Moby. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.